this is Farah Osbeck. Welcome back to Military Law and Life Matters, the podcast that arms you with knowledge so you don't become a victim of injustice. So another um, podcast that I'm preparing and I'm going to release it um, next Tuesday. I usually record these in the morning, but today I didn't get a chance to, so I'm actually recording it like later in the day. So instead of my decaf coffee that I drink, I'm actually drinking a, a little tip for you. I'm like to drink a lot of water, but to make it more fun to drink water, I always like throw a lot of blueberries in the water. And it really makes me want to like drink up the water like pretty quickly because I want to get to the bottom to get all the blueberries. Um, as I said, I love blueberries. So I stick like a, ch- a handful of them in it and I drink a lot of water and I stick them in there and it's, it's really fun. Again, like I drink the water so I can get to those blueberries and, uh, it's a fun way to make sure I, you know, drink as much water as I can during the day. So anyway, that's my little, um, my tip for you on how to drink a lot of water, put something and you enjoy drinking and like sticks. I sometimes actually put oranges in there too, like little fruit pieces. I just throw it in and either flavors it or then I like gobble, <laughs> gobble it up after I drink the water. So <clears throat> anyway, that's as an aside, um, That's what I'm doing. So let me tell you what I'm going to talk about today. Today, I am going to talk about a little bit, some different information on officer grade determination, because that's the focus of my practice. Now I strictly focus on officer grade determinations and I, you know, get calls from officers. Either they just got a letter from their commander stating that, Hey, you know, you're going to face an OGD because of misconduct you commit while in your current grade. And, you know, it's usually Lieutenant Colonel or Colonel, um, sometimes major, as well. It, it could be any rank, but those are the, the most common um, clients of mine are either colonels or lieutenant colonels. I sometimes then get a call. So either they're like facing it or it's someone like, Hey, I, I think I'm going to start like apply to retire in a year. Cause you can apply a year before you're going to retire. And you know, what are some things I need to think about? So I like those calls. Actually, I talk to anyone who calls me about these issues. But the takeaway is you really don't wait until you like get your letter to be calling someone for help or asking um, or to prepare. Like 10 days is not, I always say 10 days that you get is not enough to respond to your OGD. So if you can, you know, the reason I'm doing this again to remind you, like start preparing for this ahead of time. I'm very happy to talk to anyone. Anyone who calls, I give them tips of like what you should be doing ahead of time to prepare your officer grade determination so you have the best case possible. Um, on my show notes, I have a link of other blog articles I did and other podcasts. I did a couple of them. Um, this one has a different focus to it, but look at those as well. You have a lot to lose with an OGD in terms of your pay, not let alone like the rank you could say you retired in. Um, you may have one rank while you're in the military, but if you retire in a lower grade, that's the grade that, um, that you are. So basically, um, it's a stressful time too. Like you don't want to be rushed into like trying to get the salty. It's very stressful. You're like, you can't retire. You don't know when you're going to retire because you have to wait till this whole OGD process is done. It's stressful for you, your family, you might, you know, be moving, you're waiting to retire and then moving to wherever your retirement location is. Um, you can't really, you know, prepare your retirement ceremony. You're not sure you want to have a retirement ceremony, depending on if you're reduced in grade. I mean, just a lot of stressful things going on for you and your family. So 
you know, I've said before, I have expertise in these officer grade determinations because when I was in the Air Force, one of my jobs was I was a senior legal advisor at the Secretary of the Air Force Personnel Council, where I handled, I was the action officer on these cases. And we had a bunch of lawyers, but when I became the senior legal advisor, you know, it was me and then other lawyers who worked for me. And we all like did these cases. Um, and what the lawyer on the board was basically the action officer. So that lawyer actually briefed the board, the board members on the case, read everything in the file, um, and then also voted and, you know, made a recommendation to the secretary of force per, uh, designee on what grade someone should be retired in. This is for 06 and below. It's a different process for off general officers, which we handle as well. It was like a different process. So I'm not, those are not as, um, I'm not going to go into that right now. So Anyway, um, what I want to do is I thought it would be interesting to look at all the cases I've handled as a civilian defense attorney, right? So I looked at these cases for the Air Force when I was in the Air Force, but now as I'm a civilian defense attorney, I've had many clients over the years. I've, did a, I've done a lot of officer grade determinations. I'd say mostly like 99%, I'd say Air Force clients. I'd had several um, other service clients as well, mostly Army but I wanted, I was just curious as to, you know, what type of actions were taken against the member that resulted in the OGD and what type of investigation prompted the adverse action. So in looking at all the cases, what I found out was the number one investigation that prompted either an adverse action or the, you know, the OGD was a command directed investigation. That's when a commander determines they're going to have, they're going to do some investigation to look into some matter regarding an officer that works for them. So that's called a CDI. So 50 per, over half of my cases, 56% were due to commander director investigations. 28% were due to Air Force Office of Special Investigation cases. Those are like more serious allegations so that a commander-directed investigation may not be, you know, um, sufficient to do the investigation where you're talking about very serious offenses. And a few, um, you know, there was a couple of security force investigations, 11%, and then uh, 5% were an due to inspector general IG investigation. So that's the breakdown. So the most common over half are due to commander director investigation. It's a tool that's used a lot by commanders when, you know, there's something going on, some complaint, whatever. And they say, okay, they point a, a, an investigating officer to do this investigation, talk to everyone, including the subject. Then I also looked at what were the, um, the adverse action, you know, what were the common adverse actions that the, um, were taken against a member? Um, and the most common were article 15s and letters of reprimand, actually 28% each. So most of my clients had either gotten an article 15 or a letter of reprimand, 28% each. The rest were 17. Oh, so this is interesting. 17% had no action taken. Oh, so almost 20%, right? That's one fifth of my clients didn't have an article 15 taken against them after the investigation, didn't have an LOR, nothing. But guess what? You could still be the subject of an, o you will still have an OGD if the investigation that was con conducted substantiated misconduct. So there are like different reasons why in cases, you know, without going into them, it's different reasons why sometimes commanders don't take action against a member, but they still then have to undergo the OGD based on, again, substantiated 
adverse action from any type of investigation. That's what the regulation says. So don't think that if you have no action taken, first of all, you're, you're, that you're not going to have an OGD. I don't think that means you're retiring grade. Um, so that's an interesting little stat. 11% of my clients were facing actually either a court martial or a board of inquiry for administrative discharge. And those cases were really kind of very different. I can't really go into the the facts, but just so you know, like they, neither of them actually, we prepared for an OGD just in case, but neither of them actually ended up facing a court martial or a board of inquiry. So thank God um, they did not, but we're able to actually stop um, the court martial and the board of inquiry. But I had 11% of my clients were in that situation. And, um, it was really complex as to why they ended up not going to a court martial due to my advocate, due to my advocacy. Yeah. They didn't end up going to a court martial or a board of inquiry. And, um, based on like medical issues, they actually, um, did not even face an OGD. So if you, if you think you're facing an OGD and you have some medical issue, actually, I think I might've written an article on that please call me to discuss because I can give you some tips on how that can affect your case or if you actually will have a case. So, um, and then 11% of my clients, um, got an LOC and 5% got an LOA. Now remember other the new regulation, which is, um, it was updated in January, 2021. You do not, let's say there's no investigation, no CDI or any type of substantiated at investigation done and your commander gives you an LOC or a letter of admonition or a letter of counseling or a record of individual counseling, you're not going to get an OGD. Okay. So they changed the regs. It used to be that an LOA would also prompt it. Actually, um, yeah, LOA or LOC, or even if you had, a, as I said, record of individual counseling or referral OPR. So if you have a re referral OER, um, that's not going to prompt an OGD again, unless you got a referral because you've had substantiated investigation misconduct from it. So I think I've talked about that enough. So you understand if you have a substantiated adverse finding in an invest, even one out of 50. So let's say there were like 50 allegations, which is like a lot. I, that's just made that number up. That's really a lot. Even one is going to trigger the OGD. Okay. So what's the takeaway? Oh, by the way, uh, most of the takeaways, most of my clients were investigated due to a CDI or an NJP or LOR combined. About a third of my clients were commanders who were removed from command. And it depends why they were removed from command, whether it's going to be a serious outcome in an OGD. Um, if there's substantial misconduct, they're going to have an OGD, but it depends. Sometimes people are removed from command because they have bad judgment. They're not really like bad. They're not like they didn't commit any misconduct per se, but just like maybe bad judgment, bad leadership. Those are the ones where, you know, again, it depends what they did, but in my eyes, you know, they're not as serious if it's just like, you know, you're just not cut out, but if there's misconduct, that's where it gets pretty serious. Okay. So, um, the big takeaway, other than the stats I want to tell you, which I thought was interesting, these are, again, my clients. I don't know Air Force-wide how it is, but my clients are, you know, representation of all the, you know, Air Force officers. A very important takeaway, though, is because of these, you know, a CDI is your main reason you're going to have 
uh, OGD, if there's something substantiated, what do I tell you? And what do every lawyer tell you when you're called in for the CDI, ask for a lawyer. I don't care if you're a hundred percent innocent. You think you're a thousand percent innocent. It does not make you look guilty. Say you want a lawyer because you're going to be read your rights because they believe you commit misconduct, right? And then go to the ADC or call your civilian, a civilian attorney and that lawyer, based on what you tell them, based on what, you know, and, and by the way, when they read your rights, they're going to tell you, you know, generally what you're suspected of. They have to tell you generally, they're not going to say each allegation. Then you could decide whether your lawyer wants to contact, you know, the IO investigating officer and say, Hey, can you give me a list of the written questions? And my client will provide you a written response. Perhaps it depends, you know, it depends on the facts and circumstances on how you're going to respond to this thing. So that's really important. That might be a way to do it. Like provide something written. It just really depends on what those chart investigate, what you're accused of, of, of how you go. So it's not like a black and white, you know, you, this do that. It, it's just very fact dependent, of course. So, but the takeaway is you got to ask for a lawyer. Otherwise you're going to tube yourself. I'm telling you, you're, you're just going to tube yourself and you're going to make it much worse for you. So um, I, I say this with a hundred percent conviction based on all my years of experience. So, um, Again, I just want to end it with if you're facing an OGD because you're going to face it because you had some on Article 15 like three years ago, five years ago, and you've still like served in the Air Force, you're in your current rank of maybe colonel. It's, you know, just it's not too early to prepare because you just kind of want to know like what what's going to happen when you hit the retirement button. How many days you respond? What can you start doing now? You can be doing some key things. So those are tips I can give to you. Um, if you got your letter and you're panicked, like, oh my God, I got 10 days, feel free to call me. I can give you some guidance on what to do to make sure you do prepare and submit a good response. Again, these things are very serious. Don't take it lightly. I mean, I hear people saying they just wrote a one-page letter. I mean, I don't think that's sufficient in my professional opinion. Um, I don't care if you got like no action, like you, you probably want to put a lot of work into this. So feel free to give me a call. I'm happy to talk to people who call me. Um, you know, I do get calls on this all the time and I'm always happy to give you some advice. Um, you know, regardless of whether you retain, like I talk to people and give them advice on what they may want to do. So, all right. That's the focus again of my practice. So I wanted to just remind people of some stats on the case again, you know, talking about how important those CDIs and, and oh my goodness, if it's an OSI investigation, right. You definitely don't, you also want to ask for a lawyer. Uh, Cause that's like, there's some serious allegation there that the commander did not feel a CDI was enough. So when you read your rights, hundred percent, the rule is ask for a lawyer. Okay. So I want to end this with my life matters, um, part of it. Um, I, I read a blog, um, for people who've listened to my podcast, you might know one of my favorites wisdom people are Naval Ravikant. Well, Derek Sivers is right up there with him. He's, he's like a high number two, almost number one. Um, I just, th I just think the world of him, Derek Sivers, he, he was like an entrepreneur. He he's written a lot of books. I read every book he wrote but he had a company called CD baby. So he basically was helping out. He was a musician too, actually. And a clown. He had a lot of interesting careers, but basically he had a business where he was helping these independent like musicians on, you know, he would basically sell their music on, um, they would create a CD. I'm not sure who created, but he would then have a business where he like 
put it online and then people would buy it and they would mail the CDs. It was called CD Baby. So he ran that. It was very successful when he sold it at one point. Um, but he, he writes a lot of books, but he, I really, he's really interesting. Just Google him, Derek, S-I-V-E-R-S. And he has a website, a lot of blog articles, but I read this on, it's a, it's an older blog, but I really, this really resonated with me and I thought it was really interesting. So he's, Derek Siver said that a friend asked him why he wasn't writing more often. Cause he, he likes to write. He writes a lot actually. Um, and he, now he doesn't write as often, but anyway, at this point, I guess he wasn't writing a lot. And his friend said, Hey, why aren't you writing more often? You know, writing blogs, etc." And Derek told her, well, I, it's my minimalism. He said, I don't want to put anything out in the world unless it's necessary. And he said he had like a huge mailing list, you know, people subscribe to his mailing list and his blog. And he said, I didn't want to bother people unless it was really important what he wrote. So she, I guess, had something very insightful to say. She said, or maybe it's your ego. And Derek Sivers kind of thought about that and he realized she was right. So he said he reread his notes. By the way, he has like a book summary. All the books he read, he has summary of it. He has like a one of his tabs. It's all the summary of his notes about the books here. The guy's amazing, honestly. I don't know how he has time and to do everything he does, but he had read the book, Ego is the Enemy. I read that too. Great book by Ryan Holiday. Really recommend it. But he reread his notes and, you know, he was just saying that ego basically is an unhealthy belief in our own importance. So basically he realized that, you know, Sivers was saying that the reason he didn't write more blogs, he feared that if he released something that was unimportant, um, you know, he didn't want to release something unimportant. So if he didn't think it was like perfect, he didn't release anything at all. So Severus said, you know, Severus said, if you would have asked me if I thought I was important, he would have said, no, I, you know, I'm not important. But he concluded by saying actions, not words reveal our real values. So basically, um, you know, for me, the takeaway of this is, you know, don't wait for perfection to release something out into the world. Um, you know, if you have something to say, you know, say it like you don't have to wait till it's perfect or even like a podcast. Like I do podcasts. I don't, you know, I make mistakes when I do them, but I don't re-record them honestly, because it's like, I just want to get the stuff out and I'm not so concerned of, oh my God, I said, um, too many times or was coughing or hacking through the thing. You know, sometimes you just have to get the thing out and you can't, you know, have such an ego where you're like, I'm not going to release this. This is not good. You just get it out there. And by the way, the more you do these things, you know, the better you do become whatever you're doing. I just gave the podcast example because I'm doing the podcast now, but whatever you do, if you're writing something or blog or a book or, you know, whatever, just like get things out there because iteration is like how you get better. Just like by doing it, not by thinking about it, by doing things, you get better. So I thought that was really good. I, I enjoyed that uh, blog post. And I, it was really, um, yeah, really kind of, I think, profound that he realized that it was his ego making him not release it because he just was like, well, I can't like say something stupid, you know, and he, and by the way, nothing he says is stupid. He's it's really good. So anyway, that is my life lesson for you today or um, something as a takeaway, depending on if you're working on some projects. Um, so I want to end it with, you know, never, ever give up because there was always hope. And I look forward to talking to you next time. Until next time, take care.